Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Amen.
Lord, as, as we add, is our prayer. I mean, that should be the prayer for our life, period, but as certainly as we gather together to worship. As Cliff read from Hebrews, is that uh, our life is, is running this race that you have set before us. You are the one that sets our race. And uh, you want us to run that with endurance. You want us to run that laying aside every thing that gets in the way, all the obstacles and all the things that slow us down. And we run looking at Jesus. We, we run looking at the end line. We, we, we run looking at the goal in the finish line, which is the Lord Jesus, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. And he's the author and perfecter of our faith. He's the example of how you live by faith. And so that's what we want to do, Lord. We just pray that uh, this morning would be an encouragement, would be instructive, and uh, would be would lift us up. We pray to that end in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you can greet the person next to you, or you can walk around. I'm gonna, I'm gonna turn this down. Is that okay? All right. Well, that was good. Even though it's gonna kill my finger. Uh, yeah, it, this guitar doesn't sound good with it. I, I maybe you're not that picky. Revelation. <coughs> Chapter five. So, so we're gonna we're gonna finish James chapter two, and uh, and obviously what faith is and in, 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 in the right kind of biblical faith. And it's what I like about Hebrews is that uh, it's Jesus. It's our faith in Him. In Revelation chapter five, as John sees this vision of heaven, he says, "I saw in the right hand of Him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back." Sealed up with seven seals. And I think for the next one, though, I need a bit. Uh, and I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the book and or to look into it. And then I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome, so as to open the book and its seven seals. And I saw between the throne and with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing, as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, set out into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the hand of him who sat on the throne. When he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before him, before the lamb, each one holding a harp with golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals for you were slain and have purchased for God uh, with your blood men from every tribe tongue, people, and nation. And you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. And then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, and the living creatures and the elders, and the numbers of them was myriads of myriads, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing 
and every uh, created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all the things in them, I heard saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen, and the elders fell down in worship. So let's add our voices to that one. He is the lion.
Lord, as, as we've read from Revelation, I mean, you can't, you can't get a better picture of heaven than what you have given us in your word. And we realize Jesus is the center of it all. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, triune God, the Son, who is the creator. The Son is the redeemer. The Son is the one who holds the, uh, the title deed for the planet Earth. The, the Son is the one who is fair. Of course, God is wrapped up in all of that, but Jesus is our Savior. Jesus is our, is our vision of you, is our, uh, is our, your revelation of yourself through your Son. So we thank you for that. And Lord, as we gather today on a, well, actually a beautiful morning, it's not raining, it's, uh, it's not snowing, it's not hot, it's not cold, it's kind of in the middle, so we thank you for that. Uh, we are, there's so many things to be thankful for, but may we ever keep our eyes on Jesus. You know, uh, that Hebrews passage is just so profound. Keep running the race. We live one day at a time. You know, and Jesus told us not to worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And it's just day by day by day we run that race that you have set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. And may we think more often maybe than we do just how fair he is and just how great he is and just all that he has given us. And Lord, as we uh, gather this morning, we, we continue to pray for Sharon who, who had that surgery uh, yesterday and is recovering. We just pray that you would raise her up and bring her back to us soon. We pray for all of our other aches and pains and difficulties going on in our lives. Uh, that uh, since you are sovereign and since you are providential, that nothing happens to us by accident. But indeed, you are causing all things to work together for good. For those that love God and are called according to his purpose, that you would conform us to the image of your son. So Lord, that's what it's all about. And as we gather together as we have this morning, it's, it's, it's to be with each other. It's, it's to encourage one another. It's to learn from one another. It's to sing with one another. It's to worship with one another. It's to study your word with one another. And so we count it a privilege that we can do this. And of course, we pray for settings like this all around the world, where people are meeting in caves, in basements, in living rooms, uh, in lobbies, uh, wherever they are meeting, and here we are. So we just pray that you would receive the praise from all of your children today. Pray to that end in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We, uh, one of the verses that uh, the men looked at yesterday was First Peter. And uh, it is, this is a great, this is a great, uh, this is a great verse. We've never... And I thought, you know, there's a, there's a great song we do about this. Actually, one of my favorite songs. I can tell you how it came about, but I won't. <coughs> yeah, I'll leave that for another day. But First Peter chapter 3, and this is a quote from, uh, from Psalm 34. And, and if you think about this, I love these sections of Scripture. They just sum it all up. Like Hebrews 12. Lay aside everything that's getting in the way and run your race that God has set before you, fixing your eyes on Jesus. And I was telling Susan earlier this morning as we were sitting here, 
uh, you're sitting here. You were communing. <laughs> uh, I, I read Psalm 86 has been my psalm for the year so far, and uh, and I read this this part in the middle. It said, uh, "Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my he- my heart to fear your name." And I thought, there again, it is. I mean, that's it. That's life. Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Here's another one. First Peter four, rather three, verse ten. The one who lo- who desires life to love and see good days must now notice the language God wrote it so it's not an option if you want to desire life and and love to see good days you must keep your tongue from evil your lips from speaking uh, deceit he must turn away from evil and do good he must seek peace and pursue it why because the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears attended to their prayers but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So there again, it is. Now, we've never done this acoustically, so I have no idea actually even how it goes. All right. Why don't we stand? in the lobby edition we can take time outs all right
where, <clears throat> I mean, it sums it up. It's like, how, how hard does it have to be? Turn to God and do good. That's it. You know, follow the word. Just, just listen. It takes a submission. It takes a giving up of ourselves. Jesus said it. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Excuse me. And follow me. Help us do that, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Actually, turn to stand up. This does seem... See, and I was looking forward to using a microphone today so I didn't have to yell. Wow. So much for for that. Hebrews chapter 12 gives us, again, this great summary. We're going to start where we started our service. Where the writer says, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us. So what cloud? Well, chapter 11. Back in chapter 11, all about faith. All about how faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Yeah, by it, men of old gained approval. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For those who come to him must believe that he is and reward of those who seek him. It is by faith that Abel offered a sacrifice to God. It is by faith that Noah built an ark. It is by faith that Abraham, uh, when he was called, left his hometown and went where God told him. By faith, by faith, by faith. That's what he's talking about. We have this great cloud of witnesses of what faith is. And as we go to James, you're going to see what faith is, is faith works. Right? Every one of these people did something based on their faith. So since we have that great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance in the sin which so easily entangles us, whatever that is. Some have said, you know, because of the context, the sin may be particularly a lack of faith. Or whatever it is that trips you up, lay it aside. Just like if you're running a race. Is this, is this the Summer Olympics year? Yes. It is. So you will, some of you will watch those people with the skinny shorts, you know, that are in great shape, that don't have an ounce of fat. And they're going to be running. And they're not going to be carrying uh, their man bag. <coughs> you know, they're, they're not going to be... Uh, <laughs> Or a purse, they're, they're not going to be wearing a jacket. They're not going to even have on uh, sweatpants or anything. They're going to be as slimmed down as possible to get rid of any encumbrance so they can run this race. And that's what he's talking about. You know, and the tragedy is, as we live our lives, we wonder, well, Lord, why am I not making more progress than I should be or like to be? Well, if you take stock of your life, you'll find we carry a lot of junk with us. And that's exactly what he's saying. You've got to get rid of that so you can run that race with endurance. And then as we run, right, there's a few younger people in here. Well, we're all younger people compared to people 120. So, you know, as we run our race, it can get difficult. And it can get to where you think, well, God, I was really in tune with you yesterday, but today I'm just not feeling it. And what happened? Well, maybe nothing happened. It's just, it's just life, you know? There are seasons. There are ups and downs. 
So as we run that race, it's, it can be tempting to lose sight of what we're doing. And if you lose sight of what you are doing, you will get more tired. You will get more frustrated. You will get more discouraged because you forgot why I'm doing what I'm doing. But if you keep your eye on the goal, you'll say, yes, this is hard. This is difficult. I don't like this, but this is where I'm going. And you know what? I'm a few steps close. That's why verse 2 is so important. As we're running this race, we are to fix our eyes on Jesus. We keep looking to where we are going. That is our destination. Heaven in the Lord Jesus. And then who is Jesus? He's the author and perfecter of faith. Jesus shows us what it is to live a life of faith. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of God, of the throne of God. So that's what we're supposed to do. Now the question we're asking is, uh, well, what does that look like? In, in how, how do I know if I'm doing that? We, we know Abel offered to you know, exercise this faith because we can read about the sacrifice that he gave to God. We know that Noah exercised his faith as he built the ark. He said, you say, well, what about in my life? Well, what, do I, what do I look at in my life? And remember, we had asked the question, now go to James chapter 2, which is just two pages to the, to the right. We've asked the question <clears throat> about my faith, and this is what we have to ask ourselves this morning. So I've been asking myself this question because I go through this first, right? And so ask, you'd be asking, okay, I have faith. I, at least I profess to have faith. So number one, is my faith going to get me to heaven? Or am I deluding myself? Remember, we got the faith that deludes, the faith that doesn't act, the faith that doesn't prove to be a doer of the word, reads the word and says, oh, that is really great, but you know, that's good for somebody else, not me. And if you think that that kind of faith is going to get you to heaven, you're deluding yourself. Or you think, well, is my faith worthless? Oh, I believe in God, as he says there in verse 19. But I, I don't need to do anything. All, that's all I got to do is believe in God, and I can live any way I want. Well, we saw that that was basically the scribes and the Pharisees. And uh, James says in James 1.26, that man's religion is worthless. And then we come <coughs> to this whole discussion about what is saving faith. And that's where we find ourselves in James chapter 2, verse 14. Now, it's important to note, because this is a letter, and again, they didn't have divisions, they didn't have chapters, they didn't have verses, they didn't have all these gaps that we put in, because we haven't, it's been a while since we did chapter one. But see, they would have read it, and it just would have flowed, and you realize that verse 14 follows verse 13, which follows verse 11, 12, 11, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, and that whole section was about not showing personal favoritism. And that, was, that whole section was about basically loving your neighbor as yourself, right, in verse 8. That whole section was about showing mercy to someone, verses 12 and 13. 
And the idea was that a rich person comes in and he shows up with his fancy car and he comes in with gold and everything. And obviously he's just reeking money. And you say, oh, sit in this chair. Sit in the, in the fancy chair there that Ellen's in. You know, that, that's the good chair. And, and then a guy comes in who's maybe a little uh, dirty. He's poor, as it said. And you say, you know, there's a corner over here that's good for you. Just, you're out of sight, <coughs> out of mind, and just sit over there. And he says, you've made this great judgment and distinction. And don't you know that the rich person is the one who's hurting you? The dear brother over here is one whom Christ died for. And so we need to show the work, as it were, of loving our neighbor as ourselves." And then on the, on, after that, he says, this is where he picks up and says, well, what use is it, verse 14, my brethren, if someone says he has faith and he has no works? You see, remember verse 1 said, My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord. So, <clears throat> so there they profess faith. But he says, What good is it if your profession of faith, if you have faith but no works? Million dollar question can that faith save you? And we looked at Matthew 25, we looked at other verses to show you that this is so vitally important because this is eternal. This is eternal consequences. Can that faith save you? And the answer is no. And then if a brother or sister is without food or clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says "Go to, to them, go in peace and be warmed and be filled, and, you, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. And so... Into a context of, 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 of a church, or it had been a synagogue, but as a church, people professing faith in God, and yet they're not active. There's no evidence. There's no action. There's no work to back that up. And this is the point James is making. Can that faith save? No. What good is it if you profess a faith and don't do anything with it? <coughs> but someone would say, verse 18, well, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. You say, this would be the person without the works. You believe that God is one? Well, yeah, that you have faith that there's a one God and he's one. Well, you do well, but don't you know that even the demons also believe and shudder? So in essence, big deal. I mean, that is a big deal, but big deal because even the demons believe and shudder. They're not going to heaven. Verse 20, are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Foolish fellow would have been described from Pharisees. And you read Matthew 23, Jesus was very hard on them because uh, <coughs> they, were, they were deluded, their religion was worthless, they were very foolish. And then he says, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of works, faith was perfected. That's a key verse. We'll come back to that in a second. <clears throat> the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Both from Genesis and Paul quotes that in Romans 4. And he, uh, and he was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. 
In the same way, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them away by another way? <coughs> For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. I mean, he's made this huge point. You, you've got to have works to back up your faith or it's useless, it's dead, it does not save. And we've seen the questions verses 14 and 16. We've seen the statement in verse 17. We've seen the argument in verses 18 and 20. So now we're going to look at the example. Number four, remember, there were six features to this. So we've seen the questions. We've seen the, uh, what was the second one? We, I should know, right? We, we have seen the questions, the statement, the argument. Now look at the examples. This will help us understand exactly what James and God is talking about and what needs to be in our life. And, and the example of Abraham is very encouraging because as I was laying awake sometime early this morning thinking, you know, we, we all, I think, can find ourselves in different stages of Abraham's life. And so he uses Abraham as an illustration, right? Verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works? When he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar, that was the work. That was the proof of his faith that he actually did what God told him to do, even though it made no sense at all. Now, some would say, you know, as the scripture was fulfilled, notice verse 23, the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. So some would say, look at all that it says is Abraham believed and it was he was righteous. True. But it also says that he proved that belief and he proved that righteousness. He demonstrated that righteousness by the work he did by offering Isaac upon the altar. Now we know he didn't kill Isaac, but really he would have. So in God's mind and in his mind, he did so the key to this, and I think this is the encouraging thing, <clears throat> is in verse 22. He says, you see, the faith was working with his works. And you could even reverse that. The works was working with his faith. They, they go together. This is a faith that works. As theologians have said, I think it was Calvin that says, you know, uh, it's by grace we are saved by faith alone, but true faith that saves is never alone. It will have the works to back it up. So when Abraham did that, his faith was working with his works. And as a result of the works, as a result of his offering of Isaac, this is very important, faith was perfected. Teleao, to be found perfect. Or again, I love Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown. They said, attained its fully consummated development and is shown to be real. Unquote. I, I think that's excellent description of this word in this context. To obtain its fully consummated development and thus shown to be real. Abraham's faith developed. He had faith, and God developed it to the point that he offered Isaac upon the altar. And he's doing the same thing for us. You know, you think about Mark and the man who had a demon-possessed son. 
and he brought it to the disciples. I think it's Mark 9 or 10. And he brought it to the disciples, and they couldn't cast out the demon. And so Jesus was then showed up, and the father said, uh, you know, Jesus, if you can, can you do something for my son? And Jesus said, if I can? And he said, Lord, he says, to all who believe I can do this. And the man said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. <coughs> so he was in development as well, just like Abraham, just like me. My faith today is better than it was last week because of all that happened last week, right? All that happened even today. Now look at the great time we're having in here, you know, that uh, without being in there freezing. So uh, your faith develops, and, and Abraham's an awesome example of that, and that's what he shows us. So to see that, let's go all the way back to Genesis chapter 12 and see how this goes. All right, Genesis chapter 12. So I know this may be a <coughs> not the question you usually ask in church, but are you comfortable? Is this good? There is a big clock over there, so because <laughs> so, so I don't get tempted to get cute. I love the story of Abraham because I see myself in it, and I think you'll see yourself in it to one degree or another. Obviously, we're not Abraham, but you, I think you'll get the point. In Abraham, in Abraham chapter 12, in Genesis chapter 12, <coughs> Abraham at this time is called Abram. And in verse 1, the Lord says to Abram, Abram, and he was up there in Haran, and uh, he says, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. <coughs> Which is quite, in other words, I want you to pick up stakes and move. I mean, not just pick up stakes, you're leaving everything. I want you to leave your land, your family, your inheritance, everything, your friends, all your acquaintances. I want you to pack up and move to a land which I will show you, and I will make of you, I'll make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and I'll curse those who curse you, and, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. Why? Because he had faith. I believe you. And here's a work. He, he packed up and left. That is a work. That's a proof that I believed you. He packed up and left. Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Herod. So we're saying, yay, Abraham, great start. So what happens? They take off, there's a famine, and they got to go to Egypt to get food. So they go down to Egypt, verse 10, and as the famine in the land, Abraham went down to Egypt to sojourn there, and the famine was severe in the land. It came about that when he came near to Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, see now, I know that you are a real stunner, in other words, beautiful woman. I know you're a real looker. These guys are going to fall all over to try to get you. Sarai must have been just a very beautiful woman, is what the scripture says. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. So he says, you know, hey, I go down there. They're going to, they're going to knock me off to get to you because if they know you're my wife. 
So he says, here's, here's what I want you to do. Please say that you are my sister, so that, so why? So that it will go well with me because of you and that I may live on account of you. <coughs> so they go down there and they do that. And the Egyptians saw the woman's very beautiful. The, the pharaohs came and took her and took her, in, took her into his house. They treated Abram well because you're the brother and they gave him sheep and oxen and all that stuff. But the Lord struck Pharaoh, verse 17, in his house with the great plagues because of Sarai, Abraham's wife. And then there's that discourse and, the, and basically the Pharaoh said, why have you done this? It's a good question. Abram, what happened? You started great. God said, pack up and leave. You packed up and left. And then you had a bump in the road. You had a situation come up. You had something that happened, and you panicked, and you, and you did it your way instead of God's way. What would have been God's way? To tell the truth and just go and trust God. But he, he panicked and said, no, 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 they're going to kill me. And, and, and I, I said Friday, and, I, and <clears throat> it's still kind of a, a thought of mine, that perhaps he's thinking, perhaps he's thinking, look at God, you gave me all these promises, and if I die, how are you going to do that? So let me help you by lying about my wife so that they'll save my life. That may be somewhat of what he was thinking. But anyway, you know, at the end of the day, we would have liked to have said, Abram, why don't you just believe God? Okay? So he gets out of that jam. You go to chapter 14. <clears throat> Him and Lot split up. Lot ends up in Sodom and Gomorrah. And uh, king, <coughs> excuse me, kings come and they take Lot and his family. And so uh, Abram, who's not a warrior, goes, takes some men, and they actually go and they're victorious and they get Lot back. So then, as he's returning from his defeat, this is verse 14 of Shalamander, and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shevev, which is in King's Valley, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, came out, brought out bread and wine. Now he was a high priest of God Most High. And so this, this in Melchizedek's in, in Hebrew, so that's a whole other story. But anyway, he, he blesses Abram and says... Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. That's God. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. So you see now, Abram's faith <coughs> starts with, are you kidding, God? You want me to leave everything I know home? Yeah, I do. Okay, so I do that. I go to Egypt, and I think he has a little lapse there, and God still gets him out of that. And he says, okay, Lord, I failed, but you did not. So he's not going to trust him. Now he comes to chapter 14, and God helps him with this great victory. So he's learning, wow, with God, I, this is really pretty good stuff. Then you go to chapter 16. Rather, I'm sorry, chapter 15. And so then came about the word of the Lord, verse 1. The Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I will be a shield to you. Your reward will be very great. <clears throat> Abram said, Oh Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless? And he made that promise way back in chapter 12 about I'm going to have all these kids. I don't have any kids. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of uh, Damascus. And Abram said, 
since you have given me no offspring, one of who is born in my house, in other words, as a slave, is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but one whom will come forth from your own body, he shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars. <laughs> I would have said, Right. You know, I'm looking up. Where do I start, Lord? You know, there's one, two, three, four, five. Oh, wait a minute. Did I, where did I start? One, two, three, four. Yeah, it's impossible. And that's exactly the point. Look up to the heavens and count the stars. If you are able to count them, if you are able to count them, and the answer is no. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. Then he believed in the Lord... And he, the Lord, reckoned it to him, Abram, as righteousness. And we say, ha ha, faith alone, correct, faith alone. You're going to have an heir. You're going to produce an heir. So we go to chapter 16, and uh, Sarai, Abram's wife, bore him no children. And she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar, and she says to Abram, as I'm sure Abram told Sarai, the story that they, they listen to what God said to me. And she said, look, I don't have any kids. He said, you're going to produce an heir. Why don't you go into her? And you can produce an heir by her. So he does. And skip to the end of chapter 16. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. So Abram <coughs> leaves. <coughs> he was 75 in chapter 12. So now he's 86. Even this poor math guy as me knows that that's 11 years. So 11 years of all these things God is doing, and now he has this son. And of course, we know that it didn't work well. And we go to chapter 16, rather, chapter... Uh, why do I have... Oh, chapter 17. And we skip some years. We skip uh, 13 years. Now just hang on, this is Abraham's life, Abram's life. His faith is being developed, it's what James says. And so I start out, I got a bump, I fail. God gets me out of it, I go a little bit further, and, and I need an heir, so I try to get creative. Well, that didn't work either. We know Ishmael, the Arabs, and, and, and the Jews. <clears throat> but now we keep going. So Abram's 90, 99 years old. The Lord appeared to Aaron and said, I'm God Almighty, walk with me, and this is what's going to happen. You go to verse 8. No longer will your name be called Abram, but your name will be called Abraham, for I will make of you a father of great nations. You go to verse 15. The Lord said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be your name. I will bless her. I will indeed give you a son by her, which was always the plan. Then I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations, kings of people, and shall come for her. And Abram fell on his face. Now remember, this is 11 years plus 13. It is uh, 24. Approximately. Well, it either is or it isn't. <laughs> About 24 years. And he said, and so Abram hears this. Now remember what he's gone through. 
right? With his walk with her. And he, follow, he hears this, Sarah's going to have a, son, a child. She's barren. She hasn't given me any You don't think we've tried, Lord. We don't think they didn't have all the fertility things we have today. But they had, they had all kinds of weird potions. And I don't know what they tried, but they, nothing worked. So when he hears this, he falls on his face and laughs and said in his heart, Really, Lord? <clears throat> Come on, first it's the stars of the heavens. Now it's, will a child be born to a man 100 years old? And will Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? Come on. First, chapter 18. Chapter 18. The Lord again appears and, and tells him kind of the same thing. Skip to verse 10. He says, I'll return to you at this time next year, and behold, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now, Sarah was listening to the tent door, and was she behind him, <coughs> which was behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah, this is in verse 11, were advanced in age. Sarah was past childbearing. Hebrews 11 says she was past childbearing, and her husband, Abraham, was as good as dead. In other words, the normal reproductive process wasn't happening with these folks and wasn't going to happen. The interesting thing is, is that she has this child, and after Sarai dies, Abraham remarries and has other kids. So God obviously is working through this, and I hope Abraham, I, I think he finally realized, oh, this is all happening not because of me, but because of God. So she... Oh, my goodness. <clears throat> so she has the son. All right? She has the son, the promised son. Now we go to chapter 21. Isaac is born. Again, verse 2, Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. So now this son that they've waited for, <clears throat> all of that, you get to chapter 22. <clears throat> and God... After these things, so we don't know how much time passed. It appears Isaac was probably a teenager, uh, somewhere in there, probably. And uh, he says to Abraham, well, first of all, notice God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, <coughs> brother Abraham, he said, here I take your son, your only son, whom you love. Now remember, he had Ishmael, but in God's view, Isaac was the promised son, so Take the only promised son, the only son that I'm going to work through, and I want you to go and offer him as a sacrifice. Now, if we're looking at Abram's past track record, we would think, oh, what's he going to do now? He lied. Actually, we're going to see <clears throat> he lies twice about Sarai, his wife, to, 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 to uh, save his skin. He uh, does the Hagar thing, uh, trying to be creative or whatever. And so you're thinking, oh, what are you going to do now? How are you going to get out of this one? But watch this. His faith is progressing all the way along the line. That's why James says when he did this, his faith reached its completion. It reached its full development. <clears throat> so that now he says, okay. He takes, I won't read it because we're running out of time. He takes, he takes Isaac, and he's coming along, and, and Isaac says, Dad, I know we're going to go give an off, a sacrifice. Here's the wood. Here's all this stuff. Where's the sacrifice? Abram didn't say, it's you, son. No, he says, God will provide. 
So they go and they're, they're an entourage and, and he tells the men that were with him, look, you guys stay here and we're going to go over there and worship and we will return. He didn't say, I will return. In other words, if I kill my son, logically speaking, I'm the only one coming back. He knows he says, we will return. And you know that he goes up there and he, and, and he finally says, Isaac, you're the sacrifice. Isaac surrendered to that because Isaac could have easily beat up a hundred-year-old man, right? But he lays down and Abram raises the white or the, the knife and God says, stop. And he says, verse 12, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing for him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. It's not that God did not know. He said this was all done for Abraham's sake, for Isaac's sake, for our sake. Abraham, now, now go all the way back to James. Abram, you have now proven your faith, if you want to use those words. Now this work that you, that you would have done proves that you truly do trust me. Now watch to what degree his faith had grown. Hebrews tells us, in Hebrews 11, verse 17, By faith Abram, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, uh, whom he had received the promise, was offering up his only begotten son. In other words, not his only son, he had Ishmael, but this is the promised one. And he offers it up, verse 19, because he considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead. His faith had developed to the point that says, I don't understand this, I don't get this, but I believe that you said it's him, and if you want me to kill him, then you're going to have to raise him from the dead so you can use him. You talk about development of faith. But you see, that's what God does. Go back to James. That's exactly what God does. God was developing his faith through his works and with his works. Now, I think I said this, I don't know whether it was here or on YouTube. The, the neat thing about this is 1 Corinthians 10, 13. For no temptation or test will be given what God will give you that you cannot, that is not uncommon to man for one, but he will not allow you to be tested or tried beyond what you are able, but with that will provide a way of escape. In other words, God will not ever give you something you can't handle at that point. The neat thing is, God knows where you're at. God knows where you're going. And he's not, he didn't ask <coughs> Abram to, to do the sacrifice thing earlier. Now, he didn't give him the son earlier. He didn't do all that earlier. You know, I think he waited until Abram's faith had developed had been perfected to this point that now he was able to do that. Psalm 103, verse 14 says, God knows our frame and he knows where we're best. Every time I read 1 Corinthians 10, 13, you know, no temptation overtaking you such as common to man. God will not allow you to be tempted by all of you are able, will give you the way of escape. I realize, oh my goodness, you know what that verse means? Every time I read that verse, I have this thought, God has to order the entire universe around me so that I never get in a situation that I can't handle with his help at whatever stage of life I'm in. I mean, it's a marvelous thought. So when I, whenever I get to a situation, <clears throat> you're back to James, right? 
So that is why we consider it all joy when my brother when you encounter various trials because you know that testing your faith produces endurance. You know that God's working. He knows what he's doing. He's not going to give you something you can't handle with himself. So the whole point is his faith was being perfected with and through those works. It's a very important word, perfected, perfected, developed. Second example is quicker. Rahab, the same way was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the message, messenger sent out, when she sent the messengers out by another way? <clears throat> Joshua chapter 2, you read about Rahab. They say, okay, what was the faith part? Well, remember the faith part was when she took care of the, slit of the spies and let them down the window on the red cord. She lived on the outside of the wall. <coughs> uh, they said, look it, when we come back, you have that cord there, and you put everybody in your house you want to survive, and you will be spared. She had to believe that, right? But if she would have believed that, never put the cord out, if she had believed that and says, you know, they're marching around the city, I think this is it, I don't need to be at home, I'm going to just stay here, she would not have survived. So it was her work that proved her faith. That's the whole point. And just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. That's the verdict. So we have seen the question, the, the statement, the argument, the examples, the verdict is faith without works is dead. Period. You are deluded. It's worthless. Does not save. Okay. Now, well, what do you want me to do, God? I, I, how do I judge that in my life? Ready? Read the book of James. If you consider it all joy when you encounter various trials because you know God is working in you, guess what that is? That's a work of faith. I'm trusting him. I'm going to let this have its course. If you cry out to him for wisdom, what is that? That's a work of faith. If you persevere and you keep coming in, you have your moments, but you keep coming back, it's a work of faith. If you lay aside all these encumbrances so that you can receive the word, verse 21, that's a work of faith. If you are a diligent student because you want to know God's word, you say that that's a work of faith. If you're a doer, it's a work of faith. If you don't show favoritism, it's a work of faith. If you love your neighbor as yourself, it's a work of faith. We'll see next week that if you control your tongue, etc., and it's all a work of faith. In other words, anything you do that proves God is in you is a work of faith. So to conclude, what have we seen? We have seen that faith must work. That a faith without works is dead, is useless. All right? That's what we've seen. Now, real quickly, let me tell you why this has to be so. One verse, and it's in 1 John. 1 John chapter 3, verse 9. And so I think maybe there's more time to do this on YouTube. You can go check that out and give us more views that way, see? Uh, <clears throat> but 1 John, 1 John chapter... Uh, three tells us why. Verse nine. 
No one who is born of God practices sin. Say, well, why is that? Because he can't. Because, because his seed, whose seed? God's seed abides in him. And he cannot sin because he's born of God. That word for seed is sperma. Hey, sperm. I mean, it, it's a seed. It's a divine energy of the Holy Spirit operating within the souls of men by which we are regenerated. When you hear the gospel, the Spirit convicts your heart. And you... <coughs> excuse me. Exercise the faith that God gives you. And you take that step. He saves you. And he gives you the Holy Spirit. Read Romans 8. If you don't have the Spirit, you're not his. Read Ephesians 1. Every child of God has been given the Holy Spirit at his salvation. That Spirit is God's sperma in you. And what it is doing, it's producing, just like a sperm and an egg produces a human being, God is producing a spiritual child in us. You say, what is he producing? Romans 8, 29, he's conforming us to the image of his son. And all the way along the line, we are, our faith is working. Romans 8, 13, if we live according to the flesh, we must die. But watch it, if by the spirit we are putting to death the deeds of the flesh, we will live. The putting to death of the deeds of the flesh by the Spirit, getting rid of whatever it is, God chops it off, we say, fine, I'm going to leave it in the burn pot. It's a work of faith. It's a work of faith. God is working through us to produce what he wants us to produce for why we've been created. And I, I love 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. tells you so much, but listen to this. As each one has received a special gift employed in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. What's the manifold grace of God? It's the sperma planted in you by the Holy Spirit. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who's speaking the utterances of God. What is that? The work of faith. Whoever serves, let him do so. Uh, whoever serves is to do so Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. Because God supplies the strength for every one of our works. So that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belongs the glory and the dominion forever and ever. And so James said, yeah, you believe in God? Great. Where's the works? I don't need any works. I, I believe what? Hey, the demons do. They're not going to heaven. Don't you know that faith without works is dead? So all that we need to do is get in the Word, read the Word, walk in the Spirit, Ephesians 5, Galatians 5, and, and watch God work. It, you know, and what I find, you know, I don't know if you really need to even to work at it that much. You may. And sometimes it's helpful to say, okay, I'm going to work on this, Lord. I'm going to really work on this. I'm going to only have one brownie today instead of one whole baking of brownie. I'm going to work on that. I'm gonna... Other times you just walk with him and he does it. And you look back and you see what happened. And I think looking back Watching back all the time is not helpful because you're going to get off track. That's why it says looking to Jesus. 
great, you know, when I was on the farm, <coughs> I did drive the tractor, actually quite a bit. It was, that was fun, that was the fun part. Those were good days. Uh, and once I was plowing or doing something, chewing up the dirt behind me, I was supposed to go in a straight So what you had to do is you had to pick a point and just keep your eyes on that point. If you kept your eyes, and I'm looking at that, at that blue sign over there with the handicaps, if you keep your eyes on that, you know it's amazing how you can go straight. Soon as you turn around to see how you're doing, <laughs> you're off course. You got the point. Father, I pray that uh, you will help us as we live our lives. I think a lot of times we, we, uh, we identify with Abram more than we'd like when we want to lie, when we realize, yeah, this is a tough situation, God, but I guess I can't trust you, which is the bottom line. But Father, I'm thankful that like Abram, our faith is in development. And you strengthen it. Little by little by little, and you know us well. But the hymn writer summed it up well. It may this be our closing thought this morning. <clears throat> when we walk with
<laughs> well, Laura, that's exactly, it's, that's what we've been saying all day. That's what Genesis says. That's what James says. That's what Hebrews and Romans, your entire word says. Help us again. So, Lord, I, I know that a lot to think about, and I just pray that your spirit would bring this to uh, back to us, and, and we have the YouTube uh, that, that we can look at it and go through it again, and we can, we can listen to this online uh, a little bit later on, but just help us get these truths. And I pray that wherever we are in our walk with you, that we will keep on, and that you will help us day by day grow in that faith, we pray to that end in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.